Welcome to Food Friends, a podcast inspiring home cooks to try new dishes in the kitchen by sharing trusted recipes, tips, and friendship. Hi, I'm Sonia. And I'm Carrie. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as personal chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We're so glad you're here. Is there a recipe you've always wanted to try, but just haven't for whatever reason? Maybe it felt like it would take way too much time. Maybe you felt like it was too hard, like you didn't have the skills for it. Hi, it's Sonia. This week, Carrie and I are talking all about our most ambitious cooking projects. And what we find out is there's some really surprising wins that happen when we tackle recipes we might have been afraid or resistant to start making in the first place. You're going to want to stay tuned to find out how some of the bigger cooking projects in our kitchens have yielded the biggest results. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. You know, you and I talk a little bit about what is the topic of the day? What are we going to discuss? And we brought this up. It's sort of a big category. And so my mind is really like, what are the dishes that are real projects that take time? Yeah, I like that word project because I think so much of cooking is like every day, right? Like what are you kind of getting ready for dinner? And when I had the privilege of being a personal chef, I got to stand in the kitchen and cook like for hours a day, which I loved. That is not my reality anymore. And so most things I kind of toss together and get the meal on the table. And then there are like those sort of special meals where, oh, okay, like we're spending like an afternoon in the kitchen. But then what's a project? Because when you're a personal chef, there's definitely dishes you make for your clients that you would never make for your friends totally. you're at home for your family yeah. just because too fussy or have too many ingredients or take too long. But that also is a little bit different than what we I think we want to talk about, which is really just like there's also things as a personal chef you wouldn't do because they truly are too big of a project. Unless you're asked to do them, you're not going to spend four or five hours on a single dish. Yeah. Or I just think about, you know, I have a couple of friends that are really interested in pastry that love to bake and I have a friend who makes these really elaborate birthday cakes for her daughter every year for her birthday. And I just wouldn't do that. (laughs) I just did it. And (laughs) she loves planning it. That's not my zone. So I guess what am I bringing to this table? And then what are you bringing to this table? Well, I think you touched on something that everyone can relate to, which is no one can define what is a stretch for someone. So I think we're just talking about the times in our life where we cook something that was very out of the ordinary, that took maybe a little courage, that took a little extra effort and or time. I think that's what we mean by ambitious cooking. And the point is, it's not going to look the same for me as it is for you. Yeah, I like that framing. And I also think this is something that you and I have talked about a lot too, is because we both worked as personal chefs, we're seen as experts. You know, I often find myself in a conversation where people are like, oh, you just make must make that food and you must make that food. I'm like, food is one of the most infinite topics that exists on the planet. There's no person who masters food. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's things I can do really well. And then there's things I've like literally never cooked before and won't have time in my lifetime to cook, you know? Or want to cook. Or want to cook or even know exist. So having said all that, I really wondering if 
you have one specific dish that pops into your head as something that was ambitious, took time, was a project, was maybe something you never made before. Yes, this was the thing that immediately popped into my mind, which is cassoulet. And cassoulet is this French dish that is a casserole, basically. But it takes many, many days to make. And I think I had maybe even only eaten cassoulet one time when I decided I'm going to try to make this dish. Can you tell me more how you see cassoulet defined? Like it, it's it's a layered dish of components and it usually involves beans and meat and vegetables, right? Yeah, different beans and meat and vegetables and like this tomato sauce. The reason I decided to make cassoulet, despite not really having like this connection to it, is that I was going away on a ski weekend with a bunch of friends and we all had little kids. We are all going to be hanging out, but we couldn't go out to dinner because we all had little kids that were going to be in bed early. And so I thought, let's make a fun special dinner that we can all share together, but that I don't have to cook after I've been dealing with kids and on the mountain all day long. So I just remember being like, all right, I'm going to check out this dish. And what I did was I planned it out for like a week. In a way, it kind of reminds me of planning for a holiday. If you're hosting Thanksgiving or what is it to bring all those elements together? And so I had to go to like three different grocery stores to pick up different items that I didn't have. And then I had to make each of these components over the course of many days. Did you use a recipe? Is there something that you referenced? I did. I used the Melissa Clark cassoulet recipe from the New York Times. You know, I'm really wondering if you remember the components because I actually think of you when I think of cassoulet. And I'm not sure if you remember, but one of the wedding gifts to me and Jonathan was our friend Tom gifted us with a homemade dinner to celebrate our wedding. And we were allowed to invite, I think, like four friends to this meal. And I invited you and James and the dish that Tom made was cassoulet. Okay. This is probably where my obsession with cassoulet came from, which I totally forgot. Of course, I remember that dinner, but I just remember the company of that dinner. But obviously, that experience got into your brain somewhere. Got, got into my brain somewhere. And so the recipe that I chose, I often read what the intro of the recipe yeah. is because that's usually what draws me to something. So it says, this slow-cooked casserole of white beans and several kinds of meat has long been considered the pinnacle of regional French home cooking. It takes planning, time, and a great deal of culinary stamina. And so I was like, you know what? I can do this. What is this culinary stamina about? Well, it says the voluptuous mix of aromatic beans surrounding rich chunks of duck confit, sausages, roast pork, and lamb, as well as a crisp salt pork crust is well worth the effort. Okay. So you're having to make duck confit, you're having to make lamb, you're having to make pork, beans, and then you're having to put that all together. And sausages are in there and too. And sausages. Yes. Okay. So how did you approach this? And like, what made you want to take the plunge? What made you think like, okay, this is the special dish I want to make? Again, now I'm glad you're reminding me that I ate this and then <laughs> just decided to make it. That was the start. I was like, oh, wow, like this is possible. And then I also wanted it to feel special. I thought, well, if I break it up into different chunks, this isn't like trying to decorate a layer cake or right. do some of these pastry techniques that frankly, I don't have time or patience for or skills. And so I thought, you know what? I bet I could, this is a swing for me, but I'm going to try it. And there's a place, you know, down in my neighborhood, down the street from where I live, and it's a French grocery market called Monsieur Marcel. And so I thought that's going to be a good place to start to find some of these items. There's also a couple of great butchers in the farmer's market at the Grove near my house. I can get the sausages there. The one thing that I did not do was I did not do the duck confit. I bought the duck confit because I- It's a very time-consuming thing to do too. Have you- Just duck confit alone. Yes, but not- for 
for fun. I think it was for work. Yeah. No, I've never done that before. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to give myself a break on that piece. I sort of mapped it out day by day by day. Um, so one day you made the cooked off sausage. One day you cooked off duck. One day you cooked off some lamb or some pork. And then you just had all these cooked elements. And then for your actual dinner that night or whenever you had to put it in the oven, you assembled it? Yeah. I had like multiple containers of all the things that had been done. By the way, starting with step one, it's like the night before cooking, you marinate the meat and soak the beans. And so it's like you can't just decide one day that you're going to do it. Yeah, it was a real, it was so many steps. I just don't usually cook that way. So I think what I found to be so satisfying was I made myself a plan and I stuck to it. And did you feel it was worth the effort when you're, and do you feel like your friends even understood or could taste the effort you had put into this dish? I have to say that was irrelevant to me. Yeah. It, what was relevant to me was that I felt satisfied with the effort that I put in. And I felt like I accomplished something because I really made this plan and stuck to it. And generally speaking, people are just love to be fed. And my friends were like, this is amazing and thank you and we love you and all those things. And whether they were like, that was not as good as the one I had in France, they loved it. But even if they hadn't or if they had only cared about playing cards or something, that would have been fine with me too. You know what I'm hearing, which I think is really interesting, is the reward for an ambitious culinary project is your own self-satisfaction. Like yes. you're not you're not doing it to prove something or that it's better than some other dish you could make. In a way, it was affirming to you as an adult. You're like, I've spent so much time making food for my kid, being a mom, or making food in a rush to have the satisfaction of planning something elaborate, executing it, having it come together. That's its own reward. Yes. Thank you for summarizing it that way. I think it was the first thing that popped into my head when we talked about this idea, I remembered that feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. And I think also, I know for a fact you didn't post this cassoulet on Instagram or share <laughs> no. it on a YouTube channel or tell anyone about it, except for that we're talking about it right now. I think there's something seriously satisfying that we get that gets lost in sort of a culture of social media. Because sometimes when I'm making an ambitious cooking project where like I actually intend to post it because I share recipes on my Instagram all the time, it almost takes some of the fun out of it. There's something so fun when you're just doing a really serious cooking project for its own sake. You're not documenting yeah. it. So, but I remember that cassoulet because it was such a special occasion. And I also remember that he made one of my favorite desserts that he makes. Like he makes a particularly amazing pavlova and he makes a pavlova that's a giant meringue with a homemade custard and he just covers it in amazing berries and pistachios. And I just love his pavlova. And I know that I requested it for that meal. <laughs> that I put him to work in on ambitious meal, which is sort of a segue to something I want to bring up, which is actually what came to my mind first is when ambitious cooking has gone very, very wrong oh, for no. me. And but also right, both wrong and right, because every wrong sort of leads you into right. a direction yes. you need to go in. And I love pastry. I think for the same reason that you talked about the satisfaction of your cassoulet, that's how I feel when I bake something, especially when I bake something complicated. I'm not into like cake decorating. That's not my thing. But making a, a really good poppy seed roll from scratch 
or a very delicious cake and frosting. Maybe it's not decorated like a professional, but it's layered and you took mean like time. Ma- like Mac Weaver's birth first birthday cake? That was like the best cake yeah. I've ever had. It was so good. That was so fun to make a layered cake for my friend, best friend's first birthday was so special and rewarding. But you know, I used to do a lot of food styling, and also I used to assist other food stylists. That's very common among food stylists. You try to work for the mo- the highest level food stylist you can so you can learn. I got to assist this incredible food stylist. She's just one of, you know, the top of her game and is just such a talented person. And she hired me to work on this pastry cookbook. When she hired me, I was like, look, like, are you sure you want me? Like, I didn't go to pastry school. But she had worked with me already a few times and she knew I was like that I couldn't execute recipes. And she wanted you around is what, you know, she loved having your vibe. And she knew I was very OCD and very like detail oriented. And that's how she was. And so she, she was willing to take the risk that I wasn't a professional pastry chef. But the thing about when you're food styling a cookbook is you absolutely absolutely have to write, follow the recipes. You can't use some other recipe because you're trying to accurately portray the recipe in the book. And this was a cookbook that had many different contributors. It was a major TV show's pastry book. I'm just going to leave the name out of it. And so the levels of accuracy differed between recipes. And one of the recipes was for macarons. You know, those French- sandwich cookies. cookies. The French sandwich cookies. Yeah. And they're a classic French pastry. And I had actually never made them prior to this shoot. And I was just, I was kind of terrified the whole shoot with every recipe because there were so many recipes like I had never actually made. But macarons scared me more than anything. And also like I had to trust this recipe that we didn't know for sure was going to work. And if you're on a set, you have very limited time. Like There's you, so we, little time. We had to shoot 10 recipes a day. Each oh recipe gosh. had to be done in an hour, basically. That's so much. It's so much. It, it's a 12, 14 hour day. No, yeah. And there's no room for mistakes. So there's, like if your yeah. first go at it doesn't turn out right, there isn't time to go back. Right. And you could delay the whole shoot or yeah. throw the schedule off. And then if or, or like you don't have enough food to get like the – it's been shopped out, right, for like yes. a certain number of recipes. If you chuck a dozen eggs because of something, like you don't have an extra dozen eggs. That's exactly right. And you have to yes. like send someone to the store and then that yes. takes an hour and everyone gets upset and yeah. nervous. And Food styling, man. That was like such a hard job. <laughs> it's such a hard job. So this macaron recipe would just not work. I followed it step by step. I'm really good at following recipe. I was conferring with my, you know, the lead stylist. It just was not working to the point where I did it three times in a row and it didn't work. And so finally we had to make the executive decision to find a new recipe because we had to shoot macarons. And like we would obviously tell the publisher and they would revise the recipe in the future. So then I'm sitting there searching for which what is going to be the most trustworthy macaron recipe on the internet that I can get right now on my phone. And I think after the fifth try, I finally got it right. And instead of feeling satisfied and happy and proud, all it did was make me never Ever, 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 ever want to make a macaron again in my entire life. I mean, while you were saying that, my thought was, how fast was your heart beating? Every time it like didn't work, you were like, oh my God. Then it just like ratchets up the nervousness, right? And again, in a space like that, you're seen as an expert, even yes. though you've like never actually made it. And so then you're bringing all of this angst of, I really have to perform. 
And that's also where I think when we share these stories, we're trying to also express, I know every person feels like this when they're trying to like learn a new recipe and to remind yourself to give yourself grace. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, when you're following a recipe exactly to the T and it doesn't work, it's actually not your fault. It's not your fault. It's actually the recipe's issue. And because once I found the right recipe, it worked perfectly and I could make a macaron. And I knew enough principles of baking that even though I hadn't made this exact dish, I had made similar things, meringues and other things that are similar. It's egg whites whipped up and then you add almond flour to it. So it's a totally flourless cookie. And yes, there was satisfying and finally getting it right. Like there was that feeling of, I'm sure like almost like what they feel on the British Bake Off when they finally finished the technical challenge. Okay. It's not perfect. It's it's relief, right? It's a little bit of like, oh no. Okay. I guess the piece I came away with, which I think is sometimes something I come away with from a really big cooking project is to trust my instincts. Like if it's not going well, it's not me. There's something like instead of blaming yourself and getting yes. being hard on yourself that you can really learn that actually sometimes things don't work out and that's okay too. And you learn something from it. Sometimes you learn you don't want to make that dish again. Yeah. One other thing to sort of add in this space too is maybe there was just a mistake. I mean, you, you had a recipe that you didn't have a choice, but like when I decided I was going to make a cassoulet, I did not just search the internet. I went straight to a trusted source. And that's why I chose Melissa Clark's recipe because I thought Melissa Clark has been writing recipes her whole career. And I've used many of her recipes that do work out. And she's so respected that the New York Times continues to employ her. So while I do love that there is a wider internet of blogs and home cooks and people are talking about these things in that space where I really don't know where I'm going and what I'm doing, I really need a trusted source. Um, Well, that's why we started this podcast. And part of it is because you're so good at finding recipes that work and you try them. And that's part of what I've loved in our friendship is I've learned about recipes that work from you. And also like when we share recipes in our show notes, it's because they've worked for us. And because actually the internet is overwhelming. And actually just because something pops up in your search first doesn't mean it's the best recipe. And so having some guides along the way, that's how it's done. So I definitely want to hear about another one of your ambitious experiences? So the first one, the Castellet, was something that I was proud of. And the second one is something I'm really in the process of. And so you know this, I recently mentioned this on our podcast that I recently took a trip to India. It was my first trip to India and it was with a very dear old friend I've known for actually even longer than I've known you. We met in college and definitely my Indian food experience started with her and her mother who would come to our dorm room and bring Indian food. And I can't tell you what that Indian food was because it was so new to me. But I think it really set me on a path to just be interested in those flavors. And so over the years, I like got more interested in Indian food. And when you and I were both working as food stylists, I did assist for an Indian chef who was cooking Indian food. And I learned in working with her that she also did cooking classes. So like maybe 10 years ago, I did a cooking class with this woman and 
And I really was drawn to her because I loved – she had such a similar vibe to me and I loved the way that she talked about food and it was very empowering. And I loved everything I learned from her and I bought equipment and I just never committed myself to learning some of those dishes except one, which is dal. And I have practiced that with my friend that I went to India India with, my friend Jamie. But what I'd really like to do is learn how to make an Indian meal. By Indian meal, it's like what I experienced when I was in India. I was in one state, the state of Gujarat. If you think about America, right? And like if you go to Los Angeles and you have food in Los Angeles, you can't call that American food that represents all of America. And India is the same way. And so I guess a lot of the food we experience in America that we refer to as Indian food is actually just from one state, which is Punjab. And I was in the state of Gujarat. So that food was very different. It was very veggie heavy, dal, a couple of vegetables, a little bit of rice, curry, which was actually yogurt based, and maybe a little salad on the side. And I would love to be able to cook a meal like that. That's something that I'm really thinking about as a project. So it makes me think what has stopped you from doing it in the past? And like, what are the conditions that would really help you to make it happen in the future? Because I think we all have these dishes. Someday I want to make croissants from scratch, right? (laughs) Totally, totally. What has stopped me from doing it? Well, I think that's why it's also called ambitious cooking, right? Right. Because it's it's ambitious. And part of the reason why I've been able to get through dal is because I make it with Jamie. And she also makes rotis. A roti, for someone who doesn't know what that is, is it's almost like a tortilla. And she even bought me this little set that basically looks like a wooden trivet and a little, a very thin rolling pin and it's meant for rolling out rotis and I just haven't practiced it. It's like I need to get together with her and have her walk me through it and but we don't always have time to do that and so I think one of the things that I did was I bought an Indian cookbook that I was drawn to. It's called Indianish. I've cooked some of Priya Krishna's recipes and I like the way she writes recipes and when I looked at her cookbook, I was like, okay, I love what she's talking about and so I bought that cookbook for myself and I bought it for three other friends. I bought one for you, I bought one for Jamie, and I bought one for my friend Maylin. So now I have people to keep me accountable to this, and I can talk to you guys about those recipes. I'm hoping that will kind of get me over this resistance. Do we need to like set a, a, co- a <laughs> like co- a goal? Or like a virtual cookbook club where we all commit to like make a recipe on the same day. Because the thing is, I've also been very attracted to a lot of Indian cooking and I have quite a few Indian cookbooks. I have ones from Madhur Jafri. Joffrey, Joffrey, apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but she is such a legendary cookbook author and her cookbooks are just so brilliant. I love reading them, but I've also not always gone ahead and actually made the dishes. And often because there is like a couple components, like it's a few extra steps than what I'm used to when I'm making a dish or trying a new recipe. Right. And, and so I think that sometimes is the hurdle, but if your brain isn't, this is just a Thursday night dinner. If you somehow decide, okay, I am setting aside a date. I'm making an occasion of it. Maybe it's a cookbook club or an agreement or what else would make you want to actually commit to making these recipes? Well, I think it's funny that you're asking me this question because, you know, this trip that I went on, I went to an Indian wedding and I went, I basically went with one of my best friends in the whole world. And it was a family wedding of hers. And we got to, we went to visit her parents and visited both of their villages, like where they're from. And it was such access for someone like me who 
has never been to India and like the kind of intimacy that I got to experience there is just not something that you can just sign on to a tour for. Right. And I find that when people find out that I've gone to India, they're so interested and they want to know like, well, what did you eat and what did you see? Really what I'd like to do is I'd like to throw a dinner party. I would really like to share my pictures and sort of my stories. It almost reminds me of one of my high school teachers who had like traveled Europe with his wife in like the 60s. And he would show all of the pictures of Europe on the overhead projector when he was teaching us about geography. And I was like, you know, I could just show my pictures and kind of explain to people what I saw there. And then obviously also feed them these flavors that I experienced there, which are really a departure from what you would get in an Indian restaurant. So it's like a way to have you share your experiences with your friends on a deeper level, like have them actually try it. If you name a date for that party, then you're actually going to make the food. Yeah. Then it's like, I just need to put the date down. Maybe that's my next hurdle. It's just setting the date, setting the menu, organizing my pictures. Yeah. And it goes against some of my dinner party instincts to make something brand new I've never made before. But on the other hand, that's kind of a really fun way to approach a dinner on occasion. You're creating a special context in which to try something new. And because we both know, even if it doesn't turn out, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And (laughs) if I I end up having to order pizza and they didn't get the best Indian food. Yeah, it's in a way just sharing it with you out loud. And, you know, obviously we're putting it kind of out in the world. It's like, it's really going to hold me accountable to doing it this year. I can't wait to hear how it goes. I'd love to help cook. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you can also help me. (laughs) I would be happy to fulfill that role. You know, and it makes me think too about, I, you know, I started by sharing something that went terribly wrong, but I actually, I think sometimes having someone else with us in the experience of ambitious cooking is actually what leads to success. Yeah. And I have an example of that too, which is that very same food stylist that I assisted on the pastry book also hired me. So I got rehired. I didn't get fired after the book, (laughs) but uh, also hired me to help her on a cookbook that was all about pastas and a lot of baked pasta dishes. And I had made homemade pasta, but I always kind of found it like a little intimidating. Like it wasn't something I would do often or even felt that comfortable with. It takes work. It's And you have to know how to use the pasta roller and what thickness and what shapes you want to make. You know what I'm talking about. I do. And also, I'm so glad you brought this up because that's another frontier that I really would love to go to. So I didn't know that you had done. I want to hear the story. Yeah. And so for that cookbook, I had to make batch after batch after batch of homemade pasta dough. I mean, oh my I had God. to- That sounds amazing. And each of those got turned into another dish. So different shapes of pasta, lasagna noodles, that kind of stuff. And I got so good at it. The more batches I made, I just got really good at it. I had a really good recipe. I followed the recipe to the T. It worked out great. The whole project, every single recipe worked as written, which is just a dream. And so I think in making all that pasta dough and all that different kinds of complicated pastas, by the end of the week, because also the stylist believed in me, believed in my culinary ability to make it, set me up for success. Yes, I was in a high pressure environment, but it was like kind of fun and exciting. And then after the shoot, I felt so accomplished. I was like, wow, I'm really good at pasta. Who knew? It only took like a week of hardcore making it to get get decent at it. Making 30 or 40 batches of pasta, like, oh, wow, I've gotten comfortable with this. Imagine that. (laughs) It turns out it's not so hard. And it actually led me to start making something at home that I barely had ever tried to make, which was, it, it really got me into making homemade 
homemade dumplings. So I had made them occasionally, but really always had made them either too tough or too thick or too thin. I couldn't get them quite right. And after this shoot, I started really getting into making varenyaki, which are like pierogi, like the Ukrainian and Russian Soviet version of it, and also pilmeni, which are Siberian meat dumplings. They both use a very similar dough. And it was that one pasta experience that kind of gave me the confidence to sort of branch out and also to know how to like tweak it in a way that I like the dough. So now I have a recipe for it and the pilmeni recipe is in my book. The Vereniki one will be my next book, but... um, But yeah, I still make it not as often as maybe I'd like. I'm not, I can't say I'm a person who makes homemade dumplings on a very regular basis, but I'm not afraid to. And not just that, I love to make them. But isn't that interesting that you almost had to go outside yourself and like outside of your own food culture to go into this ita- space of like making Italian pasta to take you back to what you had grown up with were these Eastern European dumplings. And someone by my side to yeah. like, really because also she could have as the lead stylist been like I'm going to make all the dough you make you make all the fillings you make all the sauces yeah Yeah. she was like you can make the dough you're going to do great and it worked out really well. And that's also such a gift and also a testament to the trust that she had in you. I, but I think that's like when we are around people who cheer us on and believe yes. in us, that creates its own trust. That creates a really good environment to succeed. Yeah. I mean, that's what you and I have done for each other for many years. And exactly. and also giving out these cookbooks for Christmas was like a bowling ball gift. I'm going to give you this book because I want to learn and I'm going to br- – drag you along this process. And I gave it out to just a couple of people that I knew would be interested in taking this journey with me. And I haven't cooked a recipe from it yet either. Although I have way, neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> well, we now we have a project. Now Which we is have the a whole project. point. The whole point of this conversation. Totally. Well, this was really, in a lot of ways, a departure from what we're usually talking about. But it was really such a sweet space to, ex- and also to share that we are always in process of learning and expanding and trying out new things, finding that support, and having those friends actually make all the difference in the world. Yeah, or even finding a friend tackle an ambitious cooking project along together. Yes, to do it as a you. team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we also decided to do was offer this kind of in the winter months when there's like everyone's inside. It's it's really true. In the sort of earlier months of the year when there's not holidays every five seconds. Or- yes. And it's a little cooler and you're not outside all the time. There might be a rainy day or a cold day. These are the perfect times to explore a a time-intensive cooking project. A time-intensive cooking project. Something that's a little ambitious. Exactly. (laughs) I'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Bye.